0: i thought that like an editor edited your entire like i thought they took the book away and made changes and then sent it back to you i didn't realize that they just made comments and you had to do all of the work
1: (laughs) welcome to what were you thinking podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of What Were You Thinking? My name is Dana Goldstein, and I am your host. Today, I am speaking with debut author Chelsea Wakelin, author of What Remains of Elsie Jane. This is a novel about grief, unlike any novel about grief that you've ever read, or at least that I've read. And it's not that she doesn't handle grief with care and caution and compassion. It's that Elsie Jane goes off the deep end in her grief, doesn't give a shit about what other people think, and just kind of spirals into a very mm, colorful way of dealing with her grief. I don't want to give away too much because the book is a delight to read and discover with every page that you turn. I am pleased to introduce Chelsea Wakelin, author of What Remains of Elsie Jane. This book was um, completely not what I expected. And I think a lot of readers are going to have that same experience when they read What Remains of Elsie Jane. So I could go on and tell people what it's about, but you'll do it more better justice than I will. So why don't you tell people what the book is about? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, so
0: the book, but I'm curious also what your ex- expectation was versus your experience. So I have to follow up with you on that. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, yes. So the book is about a woman who, um, whose partner unexpectedly dies, um, father of, of her youngest child, and, and she falls apart over this year, uh, first year of bereavement. So it follows her through that first year as she um, unravels, and she um, kind of begins to question um, her reality and her, yeah, I, I think it's funny that you think I would do a great job because I don't think most authors do a great job of explaining their own books. I should have a really good elevator pitch down by now, but but I really don't. Um you know, I
1: could just read the flap copy, but you know, I, I like to I Yeah, like to no, so, how... so I mean,
0: what is it what it's about is grief. It's about it's a grief story, it's about how, um, this this tragic event um, precipitates this journey through, um, through a, a unusual um, trajectory of grief, of um, beginning to, beginning with you know just trying to fight that loneliness of suddenly being single and being a single mother and then moving into more of a, an existential um, crisis of of you know believing the kind of that line between magical thinking and delusion and, and where is that And I think um, grief can be a very delusional state anyway.
1: You wanted to know like how I experienced the book. Well, I knew it was about grief. Um, I tend not to read back copy because I like to be surprised, and this surprised me. Like all I knew was that uh, Sam had died, and Elsie Jane was dealing with her grief, and that's all I knew. So imagine I'm turning these pages. And I'm like, this is not like your normal book about grief. This is. I found myself laughing out loud at at several pieces, and that was very liberating. And I, I I truly felt like, Oh, yeah, this is how grief really can be for some people. So and I know that you drew on your own experience.
0: Yeah. Um, yes, I did. In in the sense that kind of putting putting the character in the same conditions that I was in and letting her um, explore in her own way, and, and maybe a different way than I did. Um, but definitely reflecting the emotional truth of, of what I experienced.
1: Okay, so just a quick aside, Chelsea was able to draw on her own experience with grief as she wrote What Remains of Elsie Jane, because in 2015, her own fiance passed away unexpectedly from drug poisoning. Did you kind of go off the deep end that way? No,
0: okay. I I didn't. And I, I couldn't because I had little kids. So um, I, I felt like I was, but I didn't um, fall apart in the same way that that the character does. And so that was for in terms of liberation, that was my way of liberating those feelings um, was to, to let um, Elsie do the things that I wanted to do and thought of doing and and fantasized about doing um
1: yeah yes yeah, she has she grieves without inhibition yeah. yeah yes
0: um and not necessarily in a way that is you know um appreciated by <laughs> by by you know or expected in the sense that like i think I think there's so much, um, <clears throat> for young moms and parents in general, there's so much, um, pressure to, to be a good anyway, regardless of a, a, a horrible shattering life event happening. And, um, And so I really wanted to like interrogate that in the setting of grief, because when like when you're grieving without a village or a community that kind of surrounds you and you're very isolated, which is that's how we live now for most people, there are all of these societal expectations around, you know, being this kind of pious, um, you know, selfless non um not seeking pleasure or or affirmation of your sexuality or your um feeling like you want to feel desired to feel vital again um to feel like you're alive and and I think I think that to me was was so that was such a a defining part of the, my own experience was feeling like, oh my God, am, is this the end for me? Is this the end of my life? Uh, is this the, am I just supposed to be this selfless mother and caregiver and just work and take care of kids until I die? Is that it
1: for me? Yeah. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it is yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I admire Elsie Jane for being unapologetic in the way that she needs to grieve she doesn't care about being polite or you know faking like how are you oh, i'm fine right like that's not in her <laughs> world at all so okay so i know that your your life experience <clears throat> with losing your partner was somewhat parallel but where when did the idea that that you were going to write this book start in your in your brain um, well,
0: I had a lot of, I start, I, I've i always written, um, I always wanted to write a book, I want, wanted to be published by the time I was 30, um, but that didn't happen because life and kids and um, school and work and um, and I just kind of thought, well, I'll just, you know, maybe, maybe later in life, maybe when I'm 40. So then my 40th birthday was coming up and I had all this writing that I'd done um, over the the years and I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna put draw from what I've written already, and and write and 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 create a, a narrative arc here and and make a book. And so that's that's how it came to be. Uh, this is sort of more of a bucket list thing. Of like I've 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 always said I wanted to do it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna
1: try. And if I fail, then least I tried (laughs) so did you already have the bones of a story or was it um journaling your own experience that sort of
0: um I yeah I I guess no not I've never really been a journal writer I I'm more of an essayist and short stories um so it kind of came from that like essays slash that were more auto fiction but with you know a a magical realism element um that that was sort of how I've always how I've always kind of written for myself and um so the bones of of what remains of LC Jane came together in just in you know it really was over about five years but um so I started in 2016 um and finished the book in 2021 but I didn't really put it together as a book until 2021.
1: Okay. And then are you agented? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what was that process for you like, you know, going through the query trenches? And we got to find um, a better word for that than trenches. I know. Like it just yeah. we we tend to say how it's so horrible to be querying, but we need to change the vocabulary around that but that's my own personal thing anyways so you've how did you find an agent and and get and and the road to publication um so I didn't know
0: anything about that side of things at all and I met with a mentor of mine who is um just wonderful and was my high school English teacher but is also a a poet and a novelist Terrence Young and he was like well you know you should you should probably like submit you kind of you kind of got to build your CV like you need to submit to literary journals and do and I was like I don't want to (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't want to do any of that (laughs) I know that that like I love literary journals and I read them all the time but I um it's i just didn't i didn't feel like it so i didn't want to do that i didn't want to take that like i didn't want to take that path i never did my mfa i took undergrad courses in creative writing but didn't didn't major in it or anything and um so i i just was like i don't want to do that and then i started really seriously researching well what like how do books get published and and what is the path and so i And it's not a, it's not easily accessible. Like it is a a very different industry than, than I'm used to. Like I work in healthcare, so Mm -hmm. totally different and different world. And um, yeah, so I figured out, okay, so there's, there, you need an agent. So I guess, and you need to query and you just write query letters and you need to, you know, so I subscribed to Publishers um, Marketplace and started researching like what do these like what agent might like this or what agencies like would be a good fit so i made my lists and then i looked at manuscript wish list got a, tw- a query tracker account and ca- that's how i tracked everything and i started querying in march of 2021 and i signed with aaron on april 20th of 2021 so it was wow I was not in the trenches for very long and I know that that is only because of right place the manuscript happened to land on the right desk at the right time and it was it was purely um an accident that that happened because I had um got an auto rejection from uh, from that agency the Jennifer de Chiera agency Um, from another agent just an auto like not for me but one of you know that they have this sort of you know one or two lines that they send to everybody the same thing and um, and then I was like well I'm just going to send this to like directly to Jennifer and see if she likes it because they said you can query another agent if you if it doesn't work. So I sent it to Jennifer and she replied right away. And she was like, this isn't for me, but I, I think Erin might like this. I'm gonna send it to her. And then I heard from Erin the next week and signed with her the next week. So it was it was a really, um, but I think it just shows like, you know, don't be afraid to be persistent. If you get a rejection from one agency, like don't be afraid to send it to another agent at that same agency if they're if they're open to that
1: yeah I you know, it's incredible that you did that because I think most people would think, well, a no from the agency from one agent as at the agency is a no from the agency. Yeah, but you know, there's something lovely about being new to the realm of publishing and you don't know what you don't know and sometimes that works for you sometimes and
0: sometimes purely by accident like you know I happen to maybe catch Jennifer in like a magnanimous mood and who and right at that time like it really I know that it was it was luck and that's that's it so um because I I've connected like over the course of this public publishing journey with other writers um, that have, that are like with their debuts coming out this year. And, and some have, you know, are on their like fifth, this is like their fifth book that they were querying. And, and it just sounds like hell and um, you know, on sub, like even having once they got an agent being on sub forever and having it die on sub, like amazing books. So it just is, it really is so much uh, so much luck right right person right place right time
1: yeah it and it seems like everything has happened really quickly for you like you landed an agent you signed with Aaron in 2021 Mm -hmm. right okay so how did that go so Jennifer passes your manuscript on to Aaron and then what happened And then Aaron
0: um and then Aaron Emailed me, um, like, I think that she passed the script to Aaron, manuscript to Aaron on like a, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, and then the Monday after that, like the next, the following Monday, Aaron emailed and said, asked if I'd like a call we talked and she made the offer and she said, like, go and research and I can give you, you know, my other, other people that I, that have signed with me, like my other clients, I can give you their info if you want to like research me or figure out if I'd be a good fit. And I just had such a great feeling immediately um, from just, you know, you can just, it was a great fit. I just knew that immediately we connected and we have the same like, interest we like the same music we're we like the same books like it's it would just i just knew it was a fit we're around the same age it was a great it was just a great fit immediately and and great rapport um and i had um Foles out with a bunch of others and and i was like i'll just i'll just cancel them and i'm gonna sign with you and i, I decided like the next day after our phone call and then i
1: signed
2: with aaron
1: it's interesting that you made that decision rather than go to the other agents who requested falls and said, Hey, I have a potential offer for a presentation. Why did you choose I- to just say <laughs> I'm withdrawing?
0: I yeah, I did because um I felt like I just wanted to follow my gut on it and I just withdrew. I I didn't I didn't want to meet anybody else and just immediately loved loved Aaron and knew that this was the right person and she just she she so loved the book and and so got it like what I was trying to do and trying to, so it was yeah it was just there was there was nobody else ever that that I would like it was it was too perfect so it then it and then it was perfect so yeah and then we did a round of of developmental edits together um and because Erin my agent is like a really she's a she's an amazing um editor as well like she has her master's in children's literature so she's Mm -hmm. like she's a great editor and so we did a round of developmental edits round of copy edits and then went on sub like within three weeks of me signing so it was really quick Oh, I guess it was mid to end of May when I first went on sub and it was over the summer. So that's a really bad time to be on sub because mm-hmm. everybody's away. But then another sort of like great coincidence happened where Erin met with like as a meet and greet with um, Dunder and um, around Rare, Rare Machines, their new imprint. And I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, whether she reached out to them, I think she might have reached out to them to just be like what's this new imprint all about, this new literary imprint? And, and so she met with Russell Smith, um, who is the acquiring editor uh, for Rare Machines. And they were just talking and doing like a meet and greet and he was explaining about, you know, what is Rare Machines and what they're looking for. And Aaron was like, well, I have this book on sub right now, do you wanna see it? Um, and he said, yes. And then he liked
1: it and he made an offer. When you first got that email from Aaron saying, do you want to have a call? Who is the first person you told? Uh, my kids.
0: How old are your kids? Um, my kids now are eight and 16.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Then 2021. Yeah, they were, they were 14 and six and they didn't care. <laughs>
1: typical we, every author has the same experience our children are completely uninterested in these fantastic <laughs> stories we put in the world i don't get it so yeah
0: actually my daughter my daughter loves the book and so she was she's was pretty excited she didn't really understand what it meant like she was just like oh that's good
1: okay so then it's just my kids who are uninterested in my work that sucks but my sister, who has been, you know, who is
0: my best friend, she was sort of, she was the first adult that I told. And she was very excited. Wow. And yeah, my my parents are deceased, so I couldn't tell them, but mm. I really wanted to.
1: What was the most surprising thing about this whole process for you?
0: Well, the most surprising thing was that I I thought and assumed that when I thought that like an editor edited your entire like I thought they took the book away and made changes and then sent it back to you I didn't realize that they just made comments and you had to do all of the work (laughs) 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 I was like you know when you read like the books that you love I, I I don't know I read sometimes I read like my comfort books over and over again and and um That was just like what I pictured in my mind, like an editor is somebody who who makes the book the book and and then then gives it back to the author and you're like, it's done. Hooray.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nope, that's not how it works. (laughs)
0: That is not how it works. Um, So that was definitely very surprising, uh, but in a good way, because I was like, oh, okay, so I actually still get to um, make decisions and do the rewrites, and it's not, yeah. But the but the also the really cool thing about getting to work with someone like Russell, who is a novelist as well, and is such a wonderful um, coach, is that you know he he drew out a lot from me, um, and really made the book what it is. Um, that the ending um, used to be very ambiguous. Hmm. and he he kind of made me forced me to dig deeper how'd that feel it was hard <laughs> it felt
1: it's your book baby right
0: scary yeah. scary to um because the whole like last I guess two chapters didn't exist yeah we talked a lot about you know depressing books and and that you need to Leave your reader feeling like a, with a little bit of hope for for the person. You can't just like have death and gloom, even if it's if it's if it's irreverent and there are moments of humor. You can't you can't. Well, you can. But his thoughts were that it's more about finishing up that that narrative arc and giving her and the reader some resolution, even if it means doesn't have to be a disney-esque resolution of happily ever after but it has to be um there has to be some point of of insight reached
1: did you struggle with figuring out how to add those last two chapters or where what the new direction for the ending was going to be yeah
0: and i had already written um like four or five different endings oh, wow. so i actually already had this one ending that I ended up going with, written, um, but like from, you know, two years earlier that I just abandoned. And so I just pulled that back and like ended up filling it out a lot, like the ending itself, the structure of it and what ends up happening. But I had to, I had to massage it and,
1: and fill it out. It ended up being where he was like, yeah, I like that. Let's go with that. At any time while you were writing what remains of Elsie Jane did you think about writing memoir instead of fiction No because um Elsie is is a
0: has a different a different set of values and beliefs and outlook than than me I wanted the distance from the character um I wanted to and also, I wanted to have, um, like, I wanted to explore those elements of re- of magical realism, um, which I didn't, I mean, have in real life.
1: <laughs> so right. um, I, I should, I should think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to know. So, okay, uh, we're, your, uh, we're obviously referencing the Craigslist, was it Craigslist ad? Yeah. yeah. That Elsie puts out looking for a wizard who can send her back in time. essentially. Yeah. 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 So where where did, where did that idea come from? Well,
0: I actually did really post that because I had um I was structuring the book in my mind for for years and years and um so I started to think about that part of it in like 2016. And that's when I posted that Craigslist ad. And then I just kind of forgot about it. And like, I had this correspondence sitting on a Word document for a long time and then remembered it and was like, I'm going to, I think that I was out on a run actually. And I was like, oh my God, that Craigslist ad, I've got to use that as, and it all came together for me. So I was right. thinking like, okay, this has got to be the, like a central, um, a central plot point here And, um, but the, the person who actually responded to the ad, his hit, there's only one response that's real from the real ad that I posted, but that ad, like, as it appears in the book is exactly what I put on Craigslist in 2016, (laughs) just like kind of for fun and to see what kind of weirdos I could connect with. And, and, um, it was just play, but the one that ended up in the book from, um, Ion um, slash Paul, that one is, is word for word from, from the original response. I tracked him down only like a year ago on Facebook, the guy and I, how, because Uh, he he signed off um, Ethan E-Y-T-H-N and mm. uh, on his, on the ad he was like you know he was like i am a you know certified wizard with these many hours of credentials like this is very serious you need to <laughs> and he um so i was like E Y T H N I. so i went back through my emails found that that was that was the name that he actually used and i just put it into facebook because it was an unusual spelling of ethan mm-hmm. and um and this ethan popped up that lived in victoria And I sent him a message on Facebook and I was like, this is, I I know you don't know me, this is a really weird question, but did you happen (laughs) to respond um, five years ago to an email on Craigslist or to a Craigslist ad asking for a space time wizard? And he was like, I can't remember doing that, but it sounds like something I do. Hang on, <laughs> let me
1: let me check. It makes you wonder how many he answers if he can't remember that he answered an ad like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he
0: did go back and check, and yes, it was him. And um, yeah, he's a, an amazing writer too. And he and I have become friends. Um, so as in, and then he gave permission for. For me
1: to use that, us to use that in the book. What was the most challenging part of getting to your debut novel?
0: Working full time and parenting, for sure.
1: And how do you? When do you do your
0: writing? At night, um, late at night, and early, early, early in the morning. And sometimes I would take you know days off work and and just have a writing day when the kids are in school. Um, not very often. But I didn't, yeah, I, I, I don't think I can do it again, um, What I, how I did it with this book. I, I wrote feverishly, and I wrote, would write, be writing until, you know, staying up all night and writing until, mm. you know, three, four in the morning. Yeah, I'll never do that again.
1: Why do you think you felt compelled to do that? I think I was turning 40. <laughs>
0: TikTok. <laughs> yeah. TikTok yeah I was it was turning 40 and being like i such an arbitrary thing but for some reason I felt really compelled and driven to get it done and so I I just had to and I I um my my parents wanted me to write and they expected that I would be published one day definitely that was part of it was wanting to
1: just get it done Yeah. Yeah. What is your expectation going for projects going forward? Because you, your journey through querying to publication is much shorter than most.
0: I, you know, it's weird because I, I don't really know. Um, I think I have any expectations because I, I never, I, I think like the goal was to be published and now it's happened. So I don't have any expectations that like, it's going to be
1: easy again. (laughs) That's for sure. So like, what were you, did you have expectations going in when you first started to query? Like what I'm wondering is if you hadn't, landed uh an agent in like five weeks i think how long would you have persisted to get this book oh i would have
0: i would have definitely persisted over years and years because when i talk to the people that have like paid their dues um I know that like they're the same as me. Like they're just, you know, you just, and I sent a lot of, I mean, not to, I sent many queries (laughs) over the five weeks. Like, how many did you send? uh, 120. Yeah. Good number. Yeah. And I had, yeah, five fulls or six fulls out. It was weird. I did it. What a weird process. It is very deflating. And I was even like only doing it for
1: five weeks and it was, Fucking awful. <laughs> right. Did rejections come in? Oh yeah. 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 Lots. This is a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is creativity an outlet for you to balance off your full-time job in healthcare? Um,
0: yes. Um, I would love to work part-time and write for the rest of the time. I would love to write full-time, as would we all, but um I don't think anyone in Canada gets to do that except for like three people. <laughs> yeah, my job, I I love, um, I love my job and I love working in healthcare. Um, I'm like a third generation healthcare person working in the same um, system as my mother did and my grandmother did. Oh, wow. So it feels very safe and comfortable for me. And I understand it really well and the history and context of, of the system here on Vancouver Island. Um, so and the people working in healthcare are amazing. They're they're amazing people. Um, I've had a great career of of being um in this wonderful support of, and ha- just have been lucked out with the teams that I've gotten to work on. So Yeah, I have. I can't say I've ever had a a a bad or toxic work experience in healthcare, which is remarkable over a you know twenty year career.
1: Can we talk about your music? Because I I I may have uncovered some things. I may have uncovered a song called Billy.
2: Billy had a dream. was a very good
1: dream (laughs) that's really old yeah and i may have have discovered the lonesome valley singers nice yeah like that was obviously uh a past hobby goal for work i guess it was
0: more of a it was it was pretty central to my life so but i guess it was a hobby i mean I never expected to make money from music. Um, my first husband was a musician; is a, is a musician, and plays. and never has never stopped playing. I wouldn't have stopped playing, but my um, one of my kids has um, sensory issues and hates the sound of guitar, so I cannot play um, without really disturbing him. So that's sad, but one day I will start playing again. And I still write songs and do it for myself. And I I realized I really hated performing. I didn't like doing live shows. I like like being in a band and doing backup stuff, but I really hated doing, being the, um, like doing my own shows. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like the audience. I felt hostile towards them. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) I was like, I just was like, stop looking at me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I was like, this is not my thing. I I love recording though. So the recording part is fun. More like writing where it's done privately. Private.
1: Yeah. What are you working on now? For for book wise, for, yeah, for writing, um,
0: I am working on two things. I that one of them is um, about it's kind of a ghost story about um, a woman, a psych nurse who whose newest client is like a like a doppelganger of her dead mother. So um, there's that one that is kind of on the back burner. I really hope I get a Canada Council grant (laughs) so I'll find out next month if I do and so that I can take some time off and finish Mm -hmm. that one and um and then I'm working on kind of a satirical novel about a sort of Jordan Peterson-esque um ideologue who um is is it is discovered um on his property with 12 dead bodies. Wait what? he's in car- so the the ideologue is incarcerated his daughter and in his incarceration his fan base has become even more inflamed and there's an opportunity to exploit the, you know to 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 have a um um a, a biography or autobiography ghost written to to you know help pay for his legal fees and make some money and um and so but the, yeah, the novel is told through the perspective of the ghostwriter who's hired by the daughter. So she's going to be interviewing this guy and and spending lots of time with the daughter and then uncovering sort of like what actually happened at this men's retreat um, and why were there 12 dead men there and is he actually
1: responsible? And where did the idea for that come from?
0: <laughs> um. Well, I've just been fascinated by um, the rise of of Jordan Peterson. Um, I, I find it so fucking weird, and like really, like he's just so weird, man. Like he's so unhinged. But and and his his followers are are also so unhinged and and so passionate in their defense of of him and his ideas and um i mean you can probably tell you know, by how i'm speaking about it that i totally disagree with pretty much everything he says mm-hmm. and stands for and um think that he's actually quite dangerous and so i i think you know if he leverages his um power his social power in the way that he seems to be doing now having left behind all of his um, more traditional employment and working for far-right media outlets Mm -hmm. Um, it's yeah what a weird life journey he's been on
1: yeah for sure would you change anything about your own journey my of my like my life or the writing piece both (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah oh yeah definitely what um, what would you change well I would change lots <laughs> <laughs> I mean I can't change it though so but I yeah I definitely would change um I would have gone to like if my mom hadn't gotten sick with cancer when I was you know a young woman I would have gone to university. So outside of my home city, I would have gone away as a teenager. Like, what well, that was like my goal through high school was to go through Concordia, to go to Concordia, and I didn't do that. I and I my life took a totally different path. That that really was um, was because of my parents and their illnesses. Like my mom had cancer when I was when I was a young woman, like young adult, and then my dad did. And so I, I was very, I was in a caregiving role. I was a young mom too, I was 24 when my daughter was born. So not super young, but young by today's standards. I was the only um, one in my chronological peer group that had a baby. So, so I was very much in that caregiving um, role through my 20s with my parents and my, my kids. So, um, so yeah, I would definitely change that I wish my 20s had been more carefree and that I had gotten to explore, um, you know, a more traditional pathway to publication, not that I mm. think I would have been published earlier, maybe wouldn't have, but, but that I had, you know, those connections too. like, so many people that meet in writing classes and schools and have those friendships that last through through their careers yeah very very envious of that and uh, and of course I would have changed that my partner died absolutely yeah. I wish I didn't have I wish I could have written a book about a different experience I definitely would have um but I don't know
1: lots of first novels are are autobiographical so, to some degree yes yeah mm-hmm. um I did come across a story from 20 20- Nineteen, and I wanted to ask because I was really curious where you were looking for a, a video mm-hmm. of, for, of a band that was playing in in a gar- an underground parking garage. Okay, just a quick aside so I can fill you in on this story. So one night in 2011, Chelsea and her fiance, Chris, were walking back to their car in an underground parking lot in Saanich and there was a band there that was performing george michael's careless whispers and they were filming the cover of this song and chelsea remembers that the two of them her and chris were dancing as the band played and was hoping that perhaps there was some footage of that that she could pass on to their children and to hold close to her heart as a memory of that relationship did you um, get video? No, oh. no, I didn't. But
0: um, yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could have. Actually, I'm kind of, I wish I never, because I was looking for it on Facebook and people were like, oh, you should make this, uh, you should unprivate this so that I can share it. And then people started, so many people started sharing it. And then some reporter, um, like DM'd me on Facebook, and was like, "Hey, can I talk to you like to do a story?" And I was like, oh, "Okay." And like, I guess. And he's like, "Well, maybe it'll help you find the video." And I was like, oh, "Okay." And so he called me, and I talked to him on my lunch break. And then, and then I didn't know that it would be like syndicated, yeah, <laughs> and that it would like just live online for fucking ever.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And I wish I never did. I, that like talk about regrets I actually I hate that article <laughs> I, hate, I hate what I said in it yeah so I don't know that's like that's kind of cringe for me yeah. um and and it's okay like it's just it's just like part of kind of I guess living online and live and learn what you what you yeah. want out there because I and I also got a lot of like unsolicited like Facebook messages from of course he
1: did of course people yeah. that
0: and I don't know like I I I know I wrote this book that is autobiographical and stuff but I'm I, I felt like that was like too much my real life and that I put out there and I shouldn't have and I wish I realized like how that would be syndicated across this, the black press group newspapers um, I mean, it's not like it's like an embarrassing article or anything. It's no, fine. but
1: it, it's interesting to hear your perspective because, as somebody who just came across the article, I thought, oh, that's so great! They like they sent it out to, uh, like coast to coast on the island. Every paper had it and ran the story. And I would think that would be great because it would increase your chances of finding the video you were seeking. Yeah,
0: and if I had found the video, I maybe would feel differently about that, um, about that, that particular article, and then also, like, there were comments from people that were, like, you know, you're, you're, you're attention-seeking, and you're, you're doing this for, and it was just, like, oh my god, fuck off, like, I, I just, (laughs) no like I didn't I shouldn't have like I thought it was going to be like a little thing in like Saanich News like a one, not that it was going to be everywhere across the province. It was shared in every stupid black press newspaper. They should get permission for that. But I didn't know they don't need permission for that. If you go on the record, they can syndicate it however they want. And it's not like the worst thing in the world or anything. And it's not
1: like, you know, I was like pooped in public or something. It's fine. Right. Um, It's still, yeah. Does it, is it making you nervous with your upcoming book release that, you know, people will be popping, sliding into your DMs in a gross way again. Well, oh, you've locked down your Twitter. I know that much, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, no, I've got all of my like socials on like people can't message me. Okay. So self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. And Twitter is locked down and I'm just going to keep it that way because I like Twitter better that
1: way. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Chelsea, and congratulations on a fantastic book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so um, much for having me. It was so nice to meet you. That brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can find What Remains of Elsie Jane wherever books are sold. I'd also like to ask you if you wouldn't mind and you are so inclined to to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it so that more people can find out about it. If you are curious, subscribe to my newsletter, head over to danagoldstein.substack.com and it's a free newsletter open to all. Once again, thanks for giving me your ears.
2: Had a dream. It was a very good dream.